you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, a new wrench thrown into the trade relationship between the U.S. and China. What will it mean for the companies that do so much of their business with Beijing? And later, the high-profile attack on Twitter, now the subject of an FBI probe. What this could mean for the company and for your online security. Plus, Dr. Anthony Fauci sitting down for a live interview with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg as we speak. We'll bring you any headlines from the event as we have them. And we've got a fast pitch from Karen why she says this stock has a couple of lottery tickets that might just pay up big time. But we start off, of course, with an earnings alert on Netflix. Those shares are moving sharply lower in the after-hour session, down by more than 10 percent. Let's get to Julia Borson for the numbers. Julia. Melissa, that's right. You see Netflix plummeting after it reported a miss on the bottom line. In fact, its biggest earnings miss in 16 years. Netflix also giving far lower than expected guidance for third the third quarter subscriber additions, forecasting the addition of two and a half million new subscribers in the third quarter. That's less than half the number analysts anticipated. Well, Reed Hastings writing in his letter to shareholders, quote, as we expected, growth is slowing as consumers get through the initial shock of COVID and social restrictions. Now, the company also had some big news announcing that chief content officer Ted Sarandos has been appointed co-CEO and is joining Netflix's board of directors. Hastings saying of this promotion, quote, in terms of the day-to-day -day running of Netflix, I do not expect much to change. Our key executive leadership groups are unchanged. So think of Ted's well-deserved promotion formalizing how we already run the business today. Now, when the call starts in an hour, we'll be listening for more on the impact of competition. Hastings name-checking TikTok and mentioning the launches of Peacock and HBO Max. We'll also be looking for commentary about Netflix's potential ability to both raise prices in the U.S. and other more developed markets and also expand its lower-cost options in emerging markets. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. It is this key notion of pulling forward demand that uh, is really uh, getting to Netflix in the after-hour session, Guy Dami. That had been the concern of a lot of the Netflix bears out there. Yeah, and they're, and they're getting rewarded for it today, obviously. Look, I'm going to stay. I, I will remain bullish of Netflix, just to, to speak in words of an old friend. And I understand why, if you're bearish, this absolutely gives you ammunition. And the bulls would say, you know what, we've seen similar before in terms of stock performance. Yeah, the miss was concerning, but, you know, in terms of the aggregate, Netflix has basically done in a half a year what it did in the entirety of last year for a myriad of different reasons. So you got to find a level to buy it back. And remember, this is where we were trading, I think, at the first of this month. So it's not like, you know, this, it, we've, we've seen these levels clearly before. I think the 440 level makes sense for a number of different reasons. Steve would probably agree to a certain point. You know, that's the 50% retracement of that March low, which was, I think, spot on the screws of 300 and the recent high of 575. So for a lot, for abundant, for a lot of reasons, I think, again, you're looking for reasons to buy Netflix on this sell-off rather than uh, be, be empowered by it if you're, if you're playing it from the short side. Steve Grasso, down 30 bucks from here. Is that a, a point to get in, as Guy had said? 
Yeah, I, I'll go with the 50-day moving average, so thereabouts. So let's call it 450. I don't want to split hairs on that. But I think Sarah Eisen nailed it a very important point. It's about value versus growth. If this is the, any indication of how we're going to treat growth or pay up for growth in this environment where there's not earnings, then you have to take a back pedal, say maybe it's time to reverse or rotate into some value. But think about this. Value has only outperformed probably 17 days from May to June. Other than that, this has been a growth ball game. And I expect that the last couple of days, uh, I should say the first couple of days of this week, where you saw that rotation, probably is not going to be that long lived. So guy's point is buy this on a dip. I think you could make the case that you could say, 440 as guy said 450 as i said or maybe even 430 if you're aggressive uh if you're an aggressive short what's the big deal tim about pulling forward uh subscribers what's the difference between signing up the subscribers now versus next quarter i mean isn't that the same argument that that one can make with apple iphone demand when it's pulled forward or pushed i mean you know overall over the span of two quarters if you're still getting the same number effectively does it make a difference well, it makes a difference if, if, in fact, Netflix was highly resilient through the early part of the crisis. Remember, this this and, and Amazon and Walmart were, were a handful of stocks uh, that were a place for capital and a place to be defensive. And, and obviously seen uh, in the first few days of being the haves in the worlds of COVID haves and have nots. Uh, it, it, it to me, look, as, as someone that's been bearish, it's hard also to do cartwheels here. Because uh, this stock has been on a tear. And, and even on the pullback here, uh, this, look, the stock did uh, roughly 35% in nine trading sessions going into this number. This, this is uh, easily uh, a, a, a rest and something that was well-deserved. But, but these subs for, for 3Q, let's, let's be clear, 2.5 million subs when the street was you know, upward near 6.5. Uh, this is a terrible number. Uh, there is a very competitive environment. And I do think when I look at, at uh, Disney Plus and, and how quickly they built those subs over 50 million and, and you look at saturation in the United States and Netflix has to be an international story. And, and internationally, they just got done. All the, the numbers that hit the tape talked about the different regions and, and some of the complications in the current environment. So international is not going to be growing as fast as possible. The most interesting thing I saw is, is that for a company that burns cash, and I'm, I'm often... Uh, Pointing that out, that, mm -hmm. you know, they lost a billion and a half last year. They're not making money uh, on a free cash flow basis. We'll be free cash flow neutral in, in 2020. Now, is that because uh, expenses have come down because production and, and content creation is well down? Probably. So it's not even really a glass half full and a bad number. But but I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say, hey, I told you so today. I think liquidity that's out there, and Steve started talking about growth versus value. As much as I believe in a lot of the value rotation, and we have seen it over the last four days, liquidity is going into mega cap tech stocks. And, and frankly, I said last week when this stock was moving over 500, I don't want to be in the way of something like Netflix in that environment. And I don't think that environment has changed. Yeah, it does seem, at least in the after hours session initially, Karen, that this is a Netflix specific issue. It's not pulling down the likes of other uh, mega cap tech stocks, except for maybe Amazon. But that also falls into this growth at any price sort of category of stock that has risen along with the with the Facebooks and the Googles of the world. Right. I think of it as different than the other fang right. names. It, you know, it's sort of its own, certainly its own unique um, 
<clears throat> business, its own unique earnings in that, you know, there really aren't very much of any. But um, it's really an outstanding company. It, to me, it just comes down to valuation. And, and Tim talked about cash flow. He was right about why the cash flow is where, where it is right now. They're optimistic that they could actually get to real break even, even after production starts. I think they do, they do tend to guide conservatively. So, um, you know, maybe I don't know if people are going to take down their numbers a lot on this or not. Um, one thing that I actually found very interesting just from a, I don't know, a corporate uh, citizen is that they are going to, um, people haven't used their subscription for two years, they're going to turn it off and not bill them and make it easy to, you know, last quarter they said they notified them. Now they're going to actually turn it off so those people won't pay, um, which is a very nice corporate citizen thing to do. Yeah. Not that it really will move the needle at all um, to the negative, but I don't know. That's sort of interesting to me. Yeah. It comes down to valuation, you know, at 200 points ago I couldn't get on board, so I, I can't now. All right, let, let's get more on Netflix's quarter, bring in Gene Munster of Loop Ventures for more insight. Gene, what was the big headline here in your view? Uh, Melissa, I think uh, uh, this concept of a great company, but not necessarily a great stock. And there's a ton of value that Netflix is creating for its users. We looked at the cost per hour of using Netflix, 37 cents, compared to cable TV at about $1.20, compared to reading a book at $7.11. No wonder why people don't read books. But the, the key takeaway here, similar to Karen's comments, is fantastic company. I also have been cautious on this as the stock has added, even with the pullback, $70 billion in market cap this year. And so I've been wrong on this. I do believe that we are crossing over a point uh, with this guidance uh, that the big takeaway is that essentially we need to start to fast forward and think about 2021 growth. And as you said earlier, Melissa, is that they've been pulling forward sub ads. And so what that means is they've essentially effectively crossed now what the original street estimate was for net sub ads for the full 2020. And the next two quarters, investors are going to largely uh, not be as concerned that, for example, subs be down 50 percent uh, in the September quarter or might be down 20 percent again in December but really start to focus on what is the net sub ads once we've anniversaried all this. Mm -hmm. And I believe when you step back, and this is the distinction between a great company, which Netflix is, and I don't believe will be a great stock over the next year. I think when you step back and think about that growth in the beginning of next year and put it up against other companies that also are delivering a lot of value per hour, companies like Apple and what Amazon's doing with their streaming services, TikTok, Peacock, all of this, I think it's going to be difficult for Netflix to be raising prices. I could be wrong, but if they are unable to raise prices, uh -huh. I believe the multiple will compress. Isn't there a benefit, though, to Netflix achieving greater scale sooner? I mean, it, doesn't greater scale mean more market share, mean, meaning putting more pressure on competitors, whether it be incumbent TV or other streaming services? So the flywheel in the case of Netflix has been financed through debt. They now have about $16 billion in debt, uh, a detail that is often overlooked. They have about $7 billion in cash. And so this is a unique uh, large tech company that is, uh, has, is net cash negative. And I think about that flywheel, ultimately, Melissa, I believe that it's about great content. Uh, great content in the context of the, the consumer. I don't necessarily put TikTok content 
as uh, as uh, Emmy Award winning content, but nonetheless, it grabs people's attention. And so this flywheel that we talk about that you're referring to, I think in the case of Netflix, it is funded through debt. And separately is I think that uh, consumers' appetite is uh, can be fleeting when it comes to content. And I don't, again, I think Netflix is gonna be around a long time, but I don't think that those type of businesses should garner a 100X multiple. I come back and think about a name that I still feel is greatly underappreciated, which is Apple, and uh, that trading at, in the low 20s multiple yeah, versus yeah. Netflix at 100, hard for me to be uh, optimistic on Netflix. You said 37 cents an hour for a Netflix user for entertainment versus like $7 plus per hour for a book? Correct. Wow, that's a huge differential. Um, Gene, always enlightening. <laughs> Gene Munster of Bloop Ventures. Um, I don't know, Guy, I think people don't read books because they're lazier these days in general, but, you know, that's that's my own opinion. Um, I, I'm a, I love reading, but are you kidding me? I'm a book guy for sure. I, I can imagine. But I'm 73 years old, so, you know. <laughs> uh, in, in terms of in terms of the bear, because, Guy, you're, you're in the bull camp. I'm just wondering, you know, the argument also is that as people stay at home and, and they binge more, they've gone through a lot of the content. I mean, I know Tim's watched Tiger King or whatever that's called eight times in a row. Um, and and he's now yeah. looking for more content, and they will have to spend more in order to replenish that content for all of those demanding viewers. Yeah, no question. Listen, I understand. I totally get the bear case without question. I, but I think you would acknowledge that, you know, the same arguments we're making now in terms of, you know, spending more. We could have made those arguments, you know, a few years ago uh, and obviously a lot lower in terms of the stock price. Uh, to Gene's point, at a certain point, it's going to catch up with them, I guess. I don't think we're there yet. And last time, I believe Netflix reported, and I'm about to do it. I'm about to pull Steve Grasso. I'm going to do a self would you rather. You know, we would you rather Disney <laughs> oh, or Netflix? On. And I, I said Netflix, and I'll say it again. I, you know, I don't know where Disney is in the after hours, but my sense is it's probably lower, which I think speaks volumes. I think Disney went higher on the Netflix move up, and I think Disney might go lower on this Netflix move lower. So I think Netflix is the beta play here. Disney is down eight tenths of a percent in the after hour session. Also got a downgrade from Cowan, um, who predicts that the park revenue won't return to pre-COVID levels until this full year 2025, which is quite some time away. Tim, um, I don't know if you want to participate in this self. Would you rather yeah. shenanigans? But, uh, no, um, well, you know, go look, ahead. We've 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 established, Mel, that I follow rules on this show and I am not initiating self. Would you rathers <laughs> or would you rather rathers? Um, like Steve and Guy. Um, but, but, but I'm really happy to have these guys try to pull Disney and Disney Plus into a Netflix valuation. You want to do that all day long? Disney shareholders love that. So you can't tell me Disney's going to suffer on the downside when it, wasn't, it hasn't really participated on the upside. And if it does, uh, I'd much rather have a blended multiple that gives me, you know, one half of the Netflix multiple for that portion of my business, that is Disney Plus, by 2023 and back it into present value, you're still getting benefits. So uh, like the, Disney, the Disney issue is, is the, the pace of, of the recovery of our country in terms of COVID-19. Uh, and I don't think theme parks and consumer experiences are going to be normalized mm -hmm. in the next 12 months. How can they be? Um, but I, and, and you, you know, flywheel, let's use it one more time. That's the flywheel for Disney uh, is is ultimately uh, their studio, their theme parks uh, and their consumer products are all meshed into the same flywheel. And without one of them, they suffer. Karen, if you had to ask a question of uh, CEO Reed Hastings or his newly minted co-CEO Ted Sarandos on the um, 
I don't want to say conference call because it's not a conference call. It's a pre-taped video that will drop on YouTube at 6 p.m. So if you had the opportunity to actually ask the question, what would that be? I think it would be how much, what's the saturation point uh, for viewers and what they're willing to pay in monthly subscription, not just for Netflix, but for all of the streaming competitors? What's the, what is the, where do they just get tapped out and they can't pay anymore? So what's that breaking point? Good question there. All right. Um, Netflix shares down by almost 10 percent right now. Meantime, U.S. Attorney General William Barr adding fuel to the China trade war fire today with comments about the country's, quote unquote, predatory trade practices. And that could have some big consequences for American tech companies. Kayla Tausche joins us with all those details. Hey, Kayla. Hey, Melissa, with China at the forefront of the election, the Trump administration has gone full court press in recent days, legislative actions, policy considerations and public comments from high ranking cabinet officials. And just today it was Attorney General William Barr making a speech in Grand Rapids where he took direct aim at Beijing, the rise of its authoritarian regime. But notably, he said that American tech companies were complicit in that. Listen. Corporations such as Google, Microsoft, and Apple have shown themselves all too willing to collaborate with the CCP. He suggested these companies have bent to the will of the Chinese Communist Party in order to do lucrative business there. He suggested that Apple uh, did so when it agreed to store iCloud data on Chinese servers. He uh, criticized social networks for only recently deciding to stop complying with government requests for user data. And he said even Disney is sacrificing critical intellectual property. Like other American companies, Disney may eventually learn the hard way, the cost of compromising its principles. Soon after Disney opened its park in Shanghai, a Chinese-owned theme park popped up a couple of hundred miles away, featuring characters that, according to news reports, look suspiciously like Snow White and other Disney trademarks. Now, perhaps General Barr is looking for more corporate so soldiers to help fight what he is calling in that speech economic blitzkrieg. But given, M Melissa, what some of these companies have responded behind the scenes to those comments, this full-throated condemnation might not be the best way to solidify that. Melissa? Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche in Washington. As we all know, China is critically important to some of the U.S.'s biggest companies. And you all remember all of these pictures. We've seen them before. U.S. CEOs shaking the hands of high, highly placed Chinese communist officials. Take a look at this one. This is Tim Cook with President Xi Jinping from 2015. China, by the way, accounting for nearly $43 billion of Apple's revenue last year. That's about 16 percent. And of course, there's Elon Musk. He met with China's premier last year. Tesla got $3 billion in revenues from China. That's about 12 percent. They also have the only fully owned U.S. factory in China. So how significant our bar's latest comments. Tim. Well, you know, a common enemy is a very important political, uh, tactical you know, approach. And, and that's, that's absolutely what this administration is doing with China. Uh, it's a playbook we've seen followed in other parts of the world. I'll, I'll leave those countries. Uh, you know who they are. 
Um, you know, our form of democracy, like I, I, I love the pushback on China. People need to know what my political view on it is. I think it's a very popular political view and I'm, I'm very much on board uh, with a lot of it. But, but to be clear, our form of democracy here is not the form of democracy followed around the world. And maybe China doesn't even have a democracy. Um, but the point is that American companies uh, are not going to find American democracy in every other country around the world either. Um, and, and I think Tim Cook's done a pretty good job of preserving Apple's integrity and, and keeping the core value set and, and, and uh, staying attached to the culture of protection of, uh, of rights and, and uh, you know, all, all of the things that I think Apple actually as a culture has maintained. So the fact that it's his biggest market or one of his biggest markets and he has to, he has to navigate carefully around there, that's, that's what every CEO will do. Um, I think the DOJ and this administration have big mega cap tech in their sites to to be uh, part of a political campaign. Mm -hmm. Even before U.S. tech companies have been doing this, I mean, there's, all, of course, the example of General Motors, how they got into into China. They signed JVs with local Chinese companies. I mean, this has been going on for decades, Steve Grasso. This is the price of doing business. Mm -hmm. And you know what? American shareholders have benefited from this. Right. I'm just going to say this is the cost of doing business. So. You have to have a business strategy. So Apple, Google, and large cap tech, they're not loyal to, they, they don't live by the proxy. We have to be loyal to the United States and U.S. first. They live by shareholders and a business strategy. If their business strategy is to be successful globally, then you have to I think that we're having a problem with Steve. Steve, if you can hold on, we're having a problem with your audio. So we'd love to hear what you say, but we're, tr we're trying to reestablish that connection. I mean, Guy, I'm not sure what the administration can do specifically to U.S. companies doing business there. But this sort of goes into the overarching theme of ratcheting tensions higher with uh, a very important partner, China. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, think about it. It's been going on now for the better part of two years. If you th And I think, and again, I'll say it, I think the rhetoric's going to continue to get to your words, ratchet it up. I'm shocked that the market doesn't take it more uh, serious than it does. I, you know, it's, it's astonishing to me that in the wake of this, the market just keeps grinding higher. And again, I'll say, I'm sort of on Tim's side. I'm, I am on Tim's side on this. You know, somebody needed to address this situation with the Chinese without question. So this is not a political statement, but it has ramifications in terms of what it could potentially mean for the market. And I don't think the market is at all pricing those ramifications in. All right. Steve's back. You're saying, Steve? Yeah. So, so this is the cost. To your point, it's the cost of doing business. So Apple and Google and these large cap tech companies don't have the loyalty of being a U.S. company first. They have the loyalty of their share. They, they, their first priority is their shareholders and having a business strategy. You have to, if you want to operate globally, this is the way you have to conduct yourself in China. But I think this gives the ability to what Guy just said. This gives the ability to have another reason why you want to sell growth and buy value. I'm interested to see if it's really a long-lasting event and if it could last longer than 17 days. Coming up, more bad news for the beaten down airline sector. We'll bring you all the details on what is sending these stocks lower. That's next. Plus, Twitter still feeling the pain from the high profile attack. So just how did this happen? Cybersecurity expert will join us and he'll break it down. And later, looking to rack up some gains, we've got a red hot retail trade for you. Stick around to find out why one of our traders is adding this name to his or her cart. Much more fast money straight ahead. 
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money Airlines. Some of the biggest losers today with losses way bigger than the broader market. Let's get to Phil LeBeau for the headlines that move this group lower today. Phil. And Melissa, there's no one big headline, but what we're hearing from everybody, and when you read the analyst reports, everybody says the same thing. We're just not seeing the summer demand that the airlines were expecting, nor are we seeing the demand that they were counting on. When you take a look at the airline index, a couple other pieces of news today to keep in mind. One of them that there are reports that the airline industry's trade group has essentially said, look, we will take government aid. We would love to have more government aid, but we don't want new new restrictions or conditions. Keep in mind that a number of the airlines are still considering whether to tap supplementary uh, treasury loans for several billion dollars. They have until the end of September to do that. American and JetBlue. Now, we had this earlier this morning on Squawk, Books, Squawk Box. They have announced that they're going to be forming a code share agreement. And this essentially means they'll, they'll share pa- passengers. American can book a passenger on a, on a JetBlue flight. JetBlue can vice versa do it uh, with a passenger on an American flight. It gives JetBlue greater access in the New York City uh, airports, particularly uh, LaGuardia, as well as Newark, and for American, greater access in the Northeast. And New York is what this is all about, because both American and JetBlue, they trail Delta and United when it comes to the share of the New York metropolitan market. We're talking about all three airports there. So Delta and United, they lead the way. Then you see American and JetBlue. And finally, as you take a look at these stocks and what they've done over the last month, keep in mind that all of the airlines, they're working on their employee exit packages right now. They've For the most part, they have put out what the early retirement offers are, whether or not there is some chance of taking voluntary leaves of absence. They're trying to avoid mass furloughs as much as possible. But make no mistake, we will see smaller airlines, fewer people actually working for the airlines come October 1st. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. It wasn't just the airlines we should note. The entire travel sector got hit today. Take a look at the cruise lines. They plunged today as the CDC banned cruises in the U.S. waters until September. So that's a little bit longer than we had expected. Um, Karen, at what point do you think we get a true picture of what the airlines look like? I mean, with all these sort of provisions on the airlines right now, we can't just rip the Band-Aid off and know what the pain is. No, we can't because, I mean, we have no idea. I guess a vaccine would be a complete game changer if we got that in the very short term. But I'm very concerned about the airlines. And I think that, I mean, they were down a little today. They were, you know, reversed, I guess, part of yesterday's good news. But, I mean, when I look at Delta Airlines and you think about the business traveler, how long that's going to take to come back and what scale the business will be at even if it, when they do come back, and, you know, then I always look to the debt because the debt markets are much smarter. And, you know, some of their paper is trading, you know, well discounted. Um, so that, w- that makes me very concerned. I know it's been, you know, a, a great proxy for where are we in the, in, in the coronavirus curve. Mm-hmm. But I think the valuations, when we look at the equity, don't take into account how much debt there is. I think it's interesting, this notion that a vaccine will flip the switch on demand. I mean, 
for one thing, you know, we don't know how many people would be willing to have that vaccine since the FDA has said that when it does approve a vaccine, it will have to follow those people who have the vaccine for about two years. And then second of all, we don't know the economic toll it has on the flying public in terms of unemployment, reduced salaries, uh, and also on companies who might pull back on travel, even when it's okay to travel. I mean, Steve, there are so many other sort of ancillary effects. But when you see vaccine news, this group springs higher. I agree with that. But the the market is a forward-looking price mechanism. So if you see a vaccine or hint, hint of it, everything will, will rally. And there's certain things that are going to rally first. Obviously, the domestic airlines are going to do better than the international, simply because you just had international. You can't fly international anymore. And who knows when that uh, restriction is going to be lifted. But you have to go with the best balance sheets going into this. And the best balance sheets were Delta and Southwest. Southwest is a domestic airlines. Delta has about 50% international. So I would stay with LUV, but look for those international airlines and the cruise line to pop aggressively on a vaccine. Tim? I just don't think we're in this environment forever. I think we're in this environment for three to six months, uh, possibly in terms of the worst of the unknown. But, you know, Delta gave you numbers a couple of days ago. They, they lost four billion dollars. Uh, the expectations for uh, year over year revenues are going to be uh, down 75 percent next year. And, and but that expenses are going to be down 50 percent. Uh, you have a case. I think we're all outlining that business travel is critical and, and it's a question of when that will come back. I agree that the, the vaccine is not an answer to getting people back into airports, but but time is. And, and, and for airlines, it's all about uh, shortening that 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 timeline. I, I think three to six months will be critical. Uh, I'm not saying you have to own the airlines today, but airlines uh, have historically been great trading stocks and also great longer term investments mm -hmm. on re-rating. Um, until you get clarity on the balance sheet, you don't have to own airlines here. Um, but I, I think you could be an owner of Delta Airlines longer term, who at least at the current trajectory is not really taking government money. Uh, and therefore, you're not necessarily having that treasury dilution that you will have with other airlines. Right. And it's about getting that cash burned down. And Delta CEO already said that by the end of the year, he hopes to get it to zero, which was a vast improvement from the 40 to 50 billion uh, just a couple months ago. Guy, I mean, it's, it's all about having enough money to get to the other side, which is what we talked oh. about yesterday. It by the way, I heard from Adele's people yeah, yesterday. I'm sure you did. And although they were what upset she, what did that she I say? Yeah, <laughs> eviscerated her and her talents, they, were, they, they asked if she could come on the show at some point. And I said, you know, I can't speak for the entire Fast Money, but we'd love to have her. So just so you know, we're looking to book Adele in would the you fall, rather? number one. Number two, were you waiting for my guy, do it, would you rather? This is for you. All right, Adele, come on on. Listen. <laughs> you got a burning trading Dolman, question, Dolman's we'll answer it. <laughs> Of course it will. Few people, few people had notes out uh, yesterday on yeah. Delta. Goldman Sachs was one of them. They said at current levels, at current cash burn levels, uh, Delta has about 19 or so months to, to work under, number one. Number two, if you look at the price targets, it, go, it ranges anywhere, I think, from $33 to, I think, $45. In terms of trading the stock, you know, a, a common theme is you go back to the, the lows we saw, which was 17 and a half in Delta, when they announced that they were cutting pilots in half. It spiked up to 37. This level we're seeing around this 27 level is as good a level as you're going to find to trade this stock on the long side. So although I am not optimistic at all in terms of what the future holds for these airlines, I think for a trade, 
Delta sets up really well. All right. Coming up, Biden, Bezos, Gates and Musk. Those just some of the heavy hitters affected by that Twitter hack yesterday. How did this happen? And is it just the beginning? We'll find out next. And later, should you ring the bell on Dell? Options traders are seeing a major rally ahead. All that action ahead on Fast Money. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com/findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter trading lower today as a company deals with the fallout from the hack of several high-profile accounts. The FBI now investigating this incident, and lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are calling for more information. For more on this, let's bring in Itai Mayor, the chief security officer at Insights. Itai, welcome. Great to see you again. Thank you for having me. Uh, You said that that basically the hackers got their hands on the crown jewels at Twitter, um, meaning the administrative access. How, should there be more security surrounding the, the person and the people who have this administrator access privilege? Well, Twitter does have a great security team. Uh, and, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Uh, but I think there, there are additional things that could have been done in order to secure that type of account. But we have to uh, keep in mind, you know, we love talking about technology and security, but the attackers, the attackers attack people. And so in this case, if somebody was social engineered, it's it's a little bit harder to actually be able to stop the attack. Is this a bigger problem for Twitter than than, say, an attack on the individual accounts? Oh, yeah, Uh, because we have seen attacks like this on individual accounts, but now we actually have access to all the accounts. So you can run a coordinated attack like the one we've seen now and gain access to very high profile accounts. I spoke to you last um, in doing research and doing the interview for the Bitcoin documentary. We talked a lot about the dark web. So, you know, this um, seedy corner of the Internet quite well. Um, What's your take on on what the hacker could have gotten and what it could be worth uh, on the dark web? So uh, the attacker in this case got uh, access to a lot of different uh, accounts. Right. So. uh, with the fact that he made off with $128,000, I'd consider that uh, pretty lucky in the sense of if it ended with that. Because we have to keep in mind, it's not just the uh, money loss uh, that went to these uh, Bitcoin accounts. If the attacker really wanted, he could sell this uh, to another player who could do a lot of other things with it. And in addition, think about it. If they would have taken this to a political figure and tweeted something out, they could cause diplomatic issues as well. What's your sense as to whether or not we've seen the full fallout of of this hack attack? I mean, these hackers could have had had access for a very long time, sort of trolling or or getting um, harvesting data and direct messages, et cetera, for purposes of maybe blackmail later down the line. Um, It seems to me that maybe we, we don't know what the full impact of this is. 
I know Twitter is still investigating this, but uh, judged by what, the actions that the attacker took, uh, it seems like they were actually under some time constraints because uh, they did try to sell access to some of these accounts on an external underground forum um, and later pretty quickly moved on to actually sending out this uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, scam. So it seems they were actually under some time and some pressure. Otherwise, I would expect them to do exactly as you said, hang around a little bit, plan and coordinate this attack. Keep in mind that when you have access to something as important as an admin panel, you know that at some point somebody will detect it and somebody will put the brakes on that. So I think they had to engage pretty fast. You think it's a one-off, Itai? For this specific case, yes. Will the attackers stop looking for these type of crown jewels? No way. That's, that's what they're looking for. All right. Itai, Itai thanks for your time. Great to get your take on this. Itai Mayor of Insights. Um, yesterday, Guy, it was interesting. We saw this stock fall as low as more than 4% in the after-hour session. Here we are down by just 1%, and this even on a day when technology underperformed the broader markets. Are you surprised at this reaction? Yeah, a little bit. But to your, I think to your point, it could have been so much worse. And I think there's somewhat of a relief in terms of the Twitter shares. I actually still think Twitter trades the February high which I think was either side of 39. But I'll go back again to what we talked about yesterday. These cybersecurity stocks are absolutely the play. And FireEye, to me, is the most interesting one out of the bunch. Palo Alto Networks has had a huge run, bit of a double top. That concerns me. But FireEye has been doing something, at least what appears to me, this little stealth rally recently tells me that it has more room on the upside. So that's how I would look at this situation with cybersecurity names. All right, coming up, tweet us. We've got yet another round of Total Request Fast Money later in the show. Send us your birding qu- trading questions. We will answer them live. But first, the chairwoman is winding up to throw some serious heat. She's fast pitching a name and calling it a COVID winner. She'll take the mound. That's next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a fast pitch. Karen Feinerman stepping up to the plate with a retail name she says could rack up some big gains for your portfolio. So, Karen, take it away. Yeah. So my fast pitch is Walmart. And this is not your father's Walmart. This is a very different story now than it used to be. So one of the things I really like about it is it's both defense and offense. So we obviously know the defense part. During COVID, this was, you know, they were in a sweet spot. Um, They were unlike restaurants or airlines. They weren't losing money. They were able to make money. And this allowed them to also now pivot to offense. And so I think that they're going to continue to take share from other retailers. And now they're going to build on it with Walmart Plus. So we'll see that launch this month. But getting into that subscription model, taking Amazon Prime head on, I think it is offense for them. And I'm optimistic that they can do a good job. I was skeptical years ago when they started their online push, and they've really done an extraordinary job. So the second thing I really like about it is it's not expensive relative to the market. It doesn't get a giant COVID premium, for sure. It does trade at a premium to other retailers, but it should. It it deserves to be, and it's enormous. Their sales are far superior to Amazon in terms of far far greater in terms of, of revenue. And then the last thing I like about it, you get a couple of lottery tickets. So one of them is Flipkart. And they are the majority owner of of India's Flipkart. And at the moment, that's not going to be really moving the needle for them. But as we know, there's enormous growth in that country. We'll see. We'll see if this could become something really great for them. And another lottery ticket is, what if one day they would start to get some multiple 
that approached maybe a, a quarter of an Apple of an Amazon multiple, anything remotely close to that. Now, taking out AWS from Amazon, still their retail business trades at a far greater one than Walmart. So, put it together, all those reasons. I like Walmart right here. All right. Um, I think Tim's got a question for you, Karen. Yeah, Karen, you're pitching a really strong game here, and, and I'm, I'm in favor of this pick. I, I'm curious how you break down the multiple. We talk about this blended multiple all the time. And, and Amazon, you could also make an argument, is just a, a retailer uh, in reverse. So uh, the e-commerce story gets more credit than it deserves. How much of an e-commerce multiple can you blend into Walmart's traditional multiple with their e-commerce growing three times over the last three years? I mean, it's a massive growth engine. That's a, I don't know an exact answer. When I try to look at some of the parts of Amazon and pull out, they have like a, you know, one, I think it was a Goldman piece that had a 30 EBITDA multiple, which is very high. And they had something in the 20s for Amazon. I mean, for, for the rest of Amazon, for the retail. And Walmart yeah. is their 13-ish EBITDA multiple. So that's a ton of room, 100%. We got no more questions here. It is time to vote. So, are you buying uh, or selling Karen's pitch on Walmart? Steve Grosso, what do you say? I'm going to say buy, but I'm going to give you a, a, a huge caveat with this. It, it has to. It, it is weighing on the fact that value continues to outperform. So, for the last week, we've seen Walmart move higher, and we've seen Amazon move aggressively lower because growth has been sold, value has been bought. I do think this will unwind if that trade unwinds it as well. And as Karen said before, AWS is what Amazon has. That's why it gets that expanded multiple. Walmart will never get that multiple that Amazon has. She's just saying the multiple of the retail side of the business, even taking out AWS. But I get, I get, get your drift, Steve. You're a buy. Um, Tim, what do you say? No caveats here. That's a sign of a baseball bat hitting the ball out of the park, if it wasn't obvious. I'm a buyer of Karen's pitch. I think Walmart, uh, which was defensive and pulled forward a lot of sales, has actually uh, changed the multiple of the stock. Two buys so far. Guy, what do you say? Well, as usual, I'm the student that left my homework at home. As you see, I don't have a uh, glossy white piece of paper. with. I know. Uh, I'm sorry, but what I'll say is this. Can you mime it? Listen, I am... am, I can, I can try to mime it. I could do like just, a charades just thing. Just, just speak it. We don't have that much time. I like, <laughs> listen, I, I'm skeptical without question. But you know what? You look at what Amazon's done over the last couple of days since this announcement. You look at what Walmart's done. The, the stock speaking for itself. 134.5, I think, was the old all-time high in April. Needs to close above that. But it certainly appears as though it wants to do it. All right. You've heard from our traders, but are you at home buying Karen's fast pitch for Walmart? You can vote now in our poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll have the results at the end of the show. Plus, you've got questions. We've got answers, I hope. <laughs> Tweet us your burning stock questions at CNBC Fast Money. We'll answer them. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to another edition of Total Request Fast Money, where we answer all your burning trader questions. Here is one on a wireless giant that's been stuck in a bit of a range. Hey, Fast Money. It's Classy here in California. Was wondering if Verizon is actually masquerading as a bond, or are we going to see price appreciation beyond this sort of channel of 53 to 57? Thanks. Classy in California. Tim, what do you classy. say to classy? 
classy. Is that like an Anchorman reference? Right? Say classy San Diego? I don't know. Look, self-appointed classy is something I'm not sure you can get away with. So I, you know, I'm going to have to assume classy stands classy. On, on his own merit. Yeah. I, I, I think Verizon stands on its own merit, um, both in, in the near term and, and the longer term. On the near term, the, the, it's very clear it is defensive. Uh, it is a dividend story. Uh, payout ratios of, of, you know, in the mid 50s um, are, are extraordinary for a company that I think uh, in the current low rate environment, uh, the debt story is better. In fact, it leads partially even just to the long term uh, buy story for me, which is that uh, between 5G and, and their ability to grow into 60 plus markets in the in kind of the early stage of, of rolling out in, in 5G, I, I think Verizon is right there. Um, but I also think if you look at their free cash flow generation and ultimately uh, what they can do in terms of, of, of divs, but also buybacks, I think the earnings basis of the stock will go higher. And I think you will break out of this range. So uh, I am a shareholder classy. So to be clear, I like it. Uh, a quick words of advice for classy guy. Well, I, I know Steve's a friend of John Ledger. I know John watches the show. I think Classy should sell his Verizon shares and buy T-Mobile. T-Mobile's had a huge run to the upside. I don't think it's over. And be careful that not to read everything in the teleprompter, Mel, to quote a little Anchorman thing, if you know what I'm saying. I try not to. Ooh. <laughs> um, remember, we want to keep answering your burning trading questions. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We may just answer them on air. All right, we've got a lot more Fast Money coming up. A look at what options traders think about a potential spinoff at Dell and the massive spike in shares today. And at the top of the hour, the execs of Domino's, Barrick Gold, and Acorns, all on Mad Money tonight, plus a special must-watch event tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. CNBC, in partnership with Acorns, is hosting a virtual live town hall special. We're bringing together Americans affected by the current health, social, and economic crises. The most respected financial experts in the industry will answer their questions. Be sure to catch it tonight right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Dell soaring double digits today after an upgrade to overweight at Morgan Stanley, who are big fans of the company's proposed spinoff of VMware. Options traders are big fans, too, and they're betting the stock's breakout is just the beginning. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. Yeah, so it was a very big day for options in Dell today. It traded over nine times the average daily options volume, trading over 75,000 contracts. A lot of that was short-dated call trading, not surprisingly given the big move that we saw today, but we did see some longer-dated activity as well. A lot of activity in the August 60 and October 60 calls. Those were trading for just under $6, so buyers of those calls are betting that today's move may just be the beginning, and they're anticipating moves of at least another 10% between now and October expiration, so over the next three months or so. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe with the action. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, the result of Karen's fast pitch poll and the final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out if you're buying Karen's pitch, uh, fast pitch on Walmart. And hope you like uh, Dirty Dancing. It was a home run. They are buying your pitch. It was 63% to 37%. It was a landslide. It was, I mean, Brilliant. it hasn't happened in a long wow. time, Karen. You should feel good. Um, it is time for the final trade now. Time to go right. around the horn. Tim? Yeah, look, great job, Karen. Uh, stay classy. So this whole Verizon trade, I, I stay there. I go home long. So as Karen says, then you're essentially buying it. 
Um, but I think the free cash flow generation and the EPS accretion from that alone uh, and buybacks is a long-term reason to own Verizon. Steve Grasso. Virgin Galactic, a, a headline today, new CEO. It's a Disney veteran, got the stock up double digits today. It's up 83% year to date. Watch this. I think it's going to be up another 80% quickly. Chairwoman. Yes. Well, if I have a handful of good ideas a year, that's great. So my one idea today, <laughs> that'll be the only idea I have. So that's Walmart, which I really like. Guy. Right here. I love how happy you are when Karen wins. It's the same happiness you feel when I lose. It's tremendous. Fire Eye, I think it's going to test that 13 and a half level. Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.